Hi, Sophie. Hi, Sin. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Snap Covenant, episode 250. These could run in syndication. <laughs> and today we're talking about things from Dark Souls 2 that should appear in Elden Ring. Yes. And I picked five things that we really liked about Dark Souls 2 that we hope to see in Elden Ring. Yeah. I guess we could insert the voice if needed later, like number five. Number five. Can we use that? <laughs> what are you fucking drinking? Sophie, focus. Number five. So my number five is, there should be an option to perform a merry condo run. So Sin, for the people who haven't watched your Dark Souls 2 merry condo run, can you explain what a merry condo run is? In Dark Souls 2, enemies despawn if you kill them a mere 12 times. Wow. A merry condo run is a professional gamer playstyle where you despawn all the enemies in every area you visit. Hmm. So you think they should have that in Elden Ring? Yes. You can turn the despawning off in-game. Why would you want to? Oh, I can tell you. Okay, tell me. Because if you're trying to keep your soul memory low, then you don't want to buy anything. Because you don't want to use the souls to buy things. So you join the covenant that keeps the enemies from despawning. So that way you can farm everything. Mm-hmm. Let's say I had a character and they used a lot of, like, life gems or, like, arrows or something. If I wanted to keep resupplying, I would have to spend souls to buy more. Yeah. And that would push my soul memory up. Right. If the enemies don't despawn, like, you can find enemies that drop, like, life gems and just kill them over and over again. So you would farm specific enemies for specific items? Yeah. Like, a really good example, actually, is um, Titanite Shards. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there's some enemies that will drop regular Titanite Shards and large Titanite Shards, and those are really important, like, upgrade materials that the game expects you to buy. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to keep your soul memory low, a single large Titanite Shard is, like, 2,500 souls. So you don't want to burn 2,500 souls on one Titanite Shard. So what you do is you would join the Company of Champions and then find the guys that drop large Titanite Shards and just kill them over and over again, and that's how you get Titanite Shards. But Sophie, what are those Titanites used for? Upgrading your weapons. Does that bring me joy? Yeah, uh, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You never upgrade weapons. Mm -mm. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Sophie, what's your number five? My number five is very simple. And it's something that you have a lot of recent experience with. Mm-hmm. And it's pirates. <laughs> you did better, though. <laughs> um, because, like, Elden Ring in the trailer, they're like, ah, you've crossed the Sea of Fog. <gasps> yeah. And I feel like that's the perfect um, pretext for having, like, a bunch of cool pirates in Elden Ring. Because Dark Souls 2 has the one pirate level, mm-hmm. No Man's Wharf. It's really cool. It is. It's an aesthetic you don't see. It's like this weird hidden underground wharf 
It's like all these like guys walking along gangplanks. There's a big pirate ship that you can call by ringing a bell. Yeah. And like it connects to other areas and stuff. And there's like the the pirate guys on the deck of the ship. And there's like all this cool stuff you could do. So just the idea of a level that's a pirate ship is real. Like they do that with, with Flexile Sentry. And it's pretty tiny. Like you just go into the hold and then like... We talked about this with um, David Control, but like <laughs> the water in the hold is constantly rising. Mm-hmm. So you get this, like, it's not actually how it works, but I like the idea of, of being in like like a ship area and the level of the water changing as the ship like like takes on water or maybe rises or something. You could even do like a, um, almost like, like a, a rail shooter level almost, like a very slow one <laughs> where you're on a ship and it's just a timed thing where like the ship is just going from one place to another and you have to not die in between mm-hmm. and like enemies are spawning on the ship and stuff, that'd be neat yeah, definitely yeah. number four interestingly enough you're number five sort of leads into my number four Oh. Did you know you can meet a friend in No Man's Wharf? You can meet two friends, but I think you mean uh, Gavlan. Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm-mm-mm. You're right, you can actually meet many friends, but I'm talking yeah. about a very specific friend. Oh. So at some point, you're going to be faced with a couple of boxes stacked upon one another. Yeah. And as you break the boxes, you see a person with a torch behind them. And you're like, hey, friend, what's up? And they're like, nothing much. Would you like me to illuminate this level for you? The torches aren't working very well. And you're like, okay. And they just follow you around in the level. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's so sweet. And you might think like, oh, well, that's nice of them. But it's not very useful. Well, let me tell you what happened, Sophie. (gasps) So I was walking around, no man's wharf, performing my Mary Kondo run. Yeah. And then... In a dark alley, I come across giant spiders. They're like a lizard. Are they? They're just giant. Yeah. They have these two arms in front. Yeah. I, I don't know what they are. And I was like freaking out. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Do you know what happened? The torch frightened them off. My torch friend just comes up to them like, don't worry about it. I got it. And they're so scared of his torch and the light. They just yeah. run away. Yeah. That was like the best Soulsborn moment ever. I was so grateful for my torch friend. Yeah, yeah. And we bonded, and I take him with me on every run. Do you think this is how the guy in Ludwig's arena should have worked? Like, if he survives the fight with Ludwig, he just follows you around helping you? Oh my god, yes! Yeah. That would have been so awesome. I know. Hi, Sophie here. I recently made a video on the Bloodborne Iceberg meme, and couldn't help but notice that something was missing. That's right. Conspicuous by its absence on any level of the iceberg was the theory that Ludwig killed Maria. It's lore so deep and complex that not even From Software are aware of it. Only a true loracle like Sin could have uncovered this mystery. Sin's evidence that Ludwig killed Maria is... So there you go. The corpse, being one of Ludwig's former victims, could almost certainly have provided a witness statement. Back to the podcast. 
Also, I don't want to spoil it, but that's not the only time you get something like that. There's a level later on, and I won't say what one, and I won't say exactly what happens, but you get a pet. Oh my god, that's amazing. I know. Dark Souls 2 is so creative. And you can feed it. What? I know, it's perfect. Is the pet frumped and you feed him poop? No, no, it's a normal animal and it eats normal animal food. <laughs> and if you feed it enough, you get a reward. Okay, I can't wait. So this isn't so much like we want there to be that specific character, but we want there to be like friendly NPCs that like do stuff for you in levels. And they don't have to be like complicated NPCs that you have yeah. to talk to or you activate or summon yeah. sign or you have to yeah. be embered or this or that. Yeah. Just somebody who's in the world and who's like, hey, what's up, I'll help. Yeah, yeah. There's also like, I don't know if it if it falls under your definition, but like in one of the, the areas with a lot of poison, there's like a big termite and it's it belches this weird gas. And if you go up to it when you're poisoned, the gas actually cures your poison. Oh my god! Yeah. We have so many friends in Dark Souls too. I know. It's these like really cute, innovative, fun ideas that have led to Dark Souls 2's reputation as the worst of the series. <laughs> What's your number four? My number four is two things together, because they I like them for the same reason. And that is Pharos Lockstones and Fragrant Branches of Yore. Please elaborate. So Pharos Lockstones are a generic key item that you find. You find a fair number of them, but they're kind of rare um, at the same time. And what happens is there's these weird, like, face designs, and they're all over the game. And if you use a Pharos Lockstone on one of the faces, it will do something. It's not always clear what it's going to do, so, like, most of the time it opens, like, a, a wall and you get some treasure. But other weird stuff happens, like there's one in No Man's Wharf where if you activate it, the whole wharf lights up. Yeah, the disco ball. Yeah, and like there's one in Earthen Peak where if you use it, you get this really cool little um, HP regenerating fountain that you can just stand in and your hit points go back up. You don't have to heal with Estus. Amazing. Yeah, and Fragrant Branches of Yore are similar. It's a generic item that you can use in a bunch of places. And what they do is they unpetrify petrified hollows. Yes! Yeah, so throughout the game there are doors and paths that are blocked off by a petrified hollow that you can't do anything to because it's stone. If you use a fragrant branch of your and unpetrifies, you can go through. So the reason I like both of these is that they don't have set functions when you find them. It's not like there's one fragrant branch that corresponds to one thing. So every time you find one, it's like this can actually go in like a bunch of different places. And like the lockstones are like the lockstones could open anything, and like if you know beforehand what a lockstone's gonna do, you can like save it, but might want to use it another time. I actually love that about Dark Souls too, because alternatively they could have just put like levers or more doors that open from one side. But I feel like this is a lot more interesting and interactive. Yeah. There's some places that are set up to troll you with them. Oh yeah? Like what? Like have you been to the doors of Pharos? I don't know. I th you'd know if you'd be there. <laughs> it's an area where, like, every wall is like a dozen Pharos faces, and you can just do whatever. And some of the Pharos faces have lockstones behind them. So it's it's almost <laughs> like a weird game show where it's like, pick one of these faces. Oh, you didn't get what you wanted, but you have another shot. It's like, oh, congratulations, you found an extra lockstone. It, it's, like, really cool. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's very yeah. trolly. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because it ties into my next point. Oh. Number three. My number three is, I'd like the bosses to be trolls sometimes. Sin, elaborate. When you fight Alana, she can summon someone to help her fight you. Yeah. Like, for example, she can summon Velstad. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> there's a chance she summons little piglets from yes. the Jewel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I found out about it, I lost it. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope stuff like that happens in Elden Ring. <laughs> What is your number three? My number three thing is... This is something that annoyed a lot of people the first time. Random trade rewards. What's that? So in Dark Souls and Dark Souls 3, there's the Crow Nest, right? Mm-hmm. You leave items in the Crow Nest, it gives you another item back, but it's always one-to-one. You always know what you're getting. Like, you put this item in, it gives you this item. So, like, you want, like, the Fog Ring, you got to put the Lantern in. You always get a Fog Ring. Dark Souls 2 is very different in that it has random rewards and there's, I think, four different tiers of things you can put in the nest. So they're just different kinds of stone. You put them in the nest. Every time you put something in the nest, you get something back. But it's random what you get based on the kind of stone. So like if you put like a low tier stone in, you might just get like a faded soul or a human effigy. If you put a high tier stone in, you might get some like end game like loot and stuff and like Titanite slabs and rare weapons and stuff. Because it is randomized. This is something that like when Dark Souls 2 came out, people were furious about it. And the thing is, if you explained that, like it's going to be Dark Souls, but the crow reward is random. That sounds bad. And it sounds bad if it's in Dark Souls 1. But Dark Souls 2 has been designed around the random rewards. So the random rewards are like, they are things that are just like useful shit to have, like Titanite and like infusion stones, souls, like high tier healing items, stuff like that. So what happens is, instead of being like, I do this thing and the crow gives me that, you just sort of like farm however many of little stones you want and then you kind of cash them in. It's sort of like getting tickets in an amusement arcade. Mm-hmm. Like you just sort of like hand them over and you get stuff. And because it's designed like that, they can just throw stones at you. They can just give you all of these like smooth and silky stones or petrified somethings. And it's like a kind of like a reward, like a random, they're basically giving you a random draw. And I like, because it's throwing so many of these things at you, like the rewards kind of had to be random. Mm-hmm. And you can trade them in an infinite number of times. There's a special tiny soapstone you can get. And it's my favorite. I love it. Because what <laughs> it does is you get summoned, but you get summoned as what's called a shade. So you're on a timer. You're not a regular summon. You're on a timer. The summon also will end if you beat a boss or I think if you absorb, I think, 10,000 souls, you go back. So the way it works is like if you complete your duty as a shade, right? Mm-hmm. Your reward is one of the trading stones. And because shade summons don't go for very long, you're either going to fight the boss and win, or you're going to be timed out and sent home anyway. I spend a lot of time just as a shade, and instead of getting covenant rewards, I'm getting the stones. But each stone is also a little tiny reward. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like I was saying before, like, Titanite, 
infusion stones. These things are kind of hard to find and they're expensive when you buy them, but I can farm the stones, take them to the crows, and then I get a ton of shit in return. It's like, it's a really neat system that I just find much more interesting than this sort of like, give them this thing to get this other thing. That makes me think of Fallout New Vegas because of the uh, slot machines or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, that basically turns the crows into a gacha machine. <laughs> Where you can just put these things in and they will just give you stuff for it. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. The other thing about the crows in 2 is you don't need to fucking reload the game after you drop the item. <laughs> Hi, Sophie here. Fallout New Vegas is the sixth game in the popular Fallout series, or if you're Sin, the second game in the even more popular Good Fallout series. Sin loves Fallout New Vegas, despite the fact it's made by the same studio who made Fallout 2, a game she considers completely unplayable because it's turn-based. In a startlingly similar manner to the old Vegas, New Vegas contains casinos with slot machines in them. This is also very similar to the new Reno area from Fallout 2, but we can't talk about that because Sin says it's not canon. Gachapon, or Gacha machines, work on a similar principle to a slot machine, but instead of a monetary payout, you receive a capsule with a weird little toy inside. As someone who collects weird toys, I should really, really like this, but we don't fucking have them in Australia, so I have to buy them on eBay from Japan at grossly inflated prices. The same principle is at play in what are called gacha games, a genre of mostly freemium, mostly mobile games in which you grind for an eternity for a chance to win your very own anime girl based on a piece of military hardware. So after that little digression, you hopefully understand Dark Souls 2 a lot better. Back to the podcast. And a shade, was that something present only in Dark Souls 2? Yeah, yeah. The other thing about shades is like, if you're a shade, you, you're available to more people. It makes the summon range a lot wider. So like, I can go and co-op as a shade in areas I can't co-op in normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In No Man's Wharf, yeah. there is an NPC summon called Bradley. Yep. And I summoned him, and after a few minutes or whatever, he was gone, and I'm yeah. like, Bradley, come back here. <laughs> Where <Yeah>. are you going? <laughs> he got his stone and he left. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool because you can summon him like again and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Number two. Sin, what is your number two? My number two is something that looks like one thing, but it's actually something else. Oh. So you know in Soulsborne games, you can see other people's ghosts? Yeah. I'm playing Dark Souls 2, right? Right. And there is an area, and I see someone's ghost. I see that ghost coming toward me, and I'm like, oh my god, it looks like that ghost is coming toward me. That's so funny. And then that ghost damages me. Yeah. I was very shocked. But basically, they're like these enemies that kind of look like people's ghosts. And then unless yeah. you know this, you just think, oh, it's a ghost. And yeah. I thought that was very, very funny. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I hope something like that happens in Elden Ring, where maybe they take something from a Soulsborne game that you're like, oh, right. it works this way, and then it's yeah. actually something else. Right, yeah. What's your number two? My number two is going to be areas that, like, alter themselves in a big way as you progress through them. So, like, in, in um, like, Dark Souls or, like, Demon Souls or Bloodborne, the way you progress through an area is mostly, like, I opened a door, sometimes I made a bridge come down. Other than that's pretty much the only impact you have on the environment, though. The closest I can think of in one of the other games to, like, radically shifting something to progress is the corkscrew stairs in Anor Londo. It's not like a binary you can go through here you couldn't before. You've changed the elevation of part of the level, so you've actually cut off another part of it by doing that. Whereas Dark Souls 2, particularly the DLCs, has stuff like Elium Lois, where you progress by melting it. So, like, after you progress beyond a certain point in Elium Lois, you can't go back because parts of it have melted. So, like, you've actually altered the area permanently. Broom Tower in Iron King is similar, where, like, the way you progress is activating this massive contraption within the tower that starts making parts of it rise and fall. Um, Shelva does the same thing, where, like, it's a series of platforms that you have to, from a distance, affect the, the height of. And I find that, like, it's it's not a very realistic way of progressing. Like, no, no actual building would work like this. I've said before that, like, the, the Dark Souls 2 DLCs feel like they are something from Zelda, where, like, the, the dungeons in Zelda are not, like, believable places. They are, like, contraptions that are designed to be challenging, which is sort of the antithesis of something like, like Bloodborne or Demon Souls. They will be modeled after a real place and have, like, areas that don't really add to, like, the game play that are just there because they would be there, like dining rooms and stuff. Whereas the Dark Souls 2 DLCs are like these weird sort of like hyper-focused collections of like just contraptions and traps and things. From what we saw in Elden, the very tiny glimpses we got of Elden Ring, one of the levels was like a giant, it had a giant like water wheel or something in it. And I think like something like that would be really interesting. And like I think back to like the way that um they described the initial design of Dark Souls, where the plan was for Filing Shrine to be flooded, and then the more you progressed, the water level would start to go down, and as it went down, more and more of it would be revealed. Actually, the, the closest there is in, in another Dark Souls game is New Londo. The way that, like, you drain New Londo and actually changes the layout of New Londo. But in that case, it's more just like, there's a part of it you couldn't get to before, and now you can get there, because the water's not there anymore. It's not like draining it, like, affects how you navigate the upper part, really. It's just sort of, like, part of it's now accessible, whereas, like, Elium Lois, essentially, you go through Elium Lois twice because of how it works. Like, you go through it once, melt it, and then you just go all the way back round. But instead of looping back round through the same area, like, it's technically geographically the same space, but there's no ice anymore, so everything is different. Like, the enemy placement is different, the doors are different because some of them have unfrozen now. There's like items and stuff that were in the ice. The ice is gone now. Like in Soul Reaver where you had like physical and, and spectral yeah. versions. Yeah. So you're something like that where like you're actually altering the properties of an area rather than just unlocking something. I th I'd really like to see that. Thank you, Sophie. Number one. Sin, what is your 
number one. Do you sometimes have a random tune playing in your head? <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. Sometimes I have a random tune playing from one of my most favorite areas of all time. Uh, I thought it was going to be Country Roads. Oh my god, can we have a mod where Country Roads plays in Majula? Hi, Sophie here. Country Roads is a song written by John Denver for the soundtrack of Fallout 76, the fifth game in the good Fallout series. Despite singing it non-stop for the last two and a half years, Sin didn't know what West Virginia was, so I had to show her on a map. Sin found this experience confusing and disorienting, as West Virginia was indeed to the west of Virginia. But when she looked to the south of Virginia, it was North Carolina. Perhaps Fallout 77 holds the key. Only Todd Howard can say for sure, unfortunately. Back to the podcast. So as I was saying, one of my favorite areas ever is Majula. Yeah, it's yeah. so big, it's so open, it's so wonderful. It's beautiful, like the water is beautiful, the scenery yeah. is beautiful, the rocks are beautiful, the ground yeah. is beautiful, the fire is beautiful. There are people who are like installed there, there are little yeah. houses. Yeah. I love that area very much. And when I go there, I feel relaxed. Aww. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And I feel like other Soulsborne games did not do that with their hubs. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, Majula feels like a community that's forming. Yeah. I know this is something people like about Dark Souls, and, like, it's fine in Dark Souls, but it's, it's like, doesn't have to be like this all the time. <laughs> Where, like, um, what happens is, like, characters come and go from the shrine. Mm-hmm. They're settling down at the shrine to rest, but they're not, like, moving into the shrine. Yeah. And, like, even Dark Souls 3, that tries to sort of do this with you, bring all the people to this shrine and they basically stay there, it doesn't have the same feeling of, like, being, like, a settlement that Majula has. Because Majula's, like, everyone has their own little spot. Like, there's a blacksmith, there's, like, the armorer's shop, there's the mansion where the cartographer is, there's the guy who's chilling by the monument, Malenche's by the thing, and, like, everyone just sort of, like, fits in there. Yeah. Yeah. What's your number one? My number one, I didn't say this earlier because we don't know what we've written down and I thought you would have this down because it's so obvious. Okay, oh my god, what is it? Um, it's functional dual wielding. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I forgot about that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell us more. Okay, so Dark Souls 2 actually has like a working dual wielding system. Um. You could always dual wield weapons in the other Souls games by just putting a weapon in your left hand. L1 and L2 would be light and heavy attack with it. Dark Souls 2 actually lets you have dual wield movesets. And the way that you do it is that if you have 1.5 times the base requirement for the weapon, and then you have two weapons and they're in classes, so like, it doesn't have to be two of the same weapon, it can just be like two long swords, or like two daggers or something in in either hand you go into what's called power stance 
And if you do that, you actually get a completely unique dual wielding moveset. Yeah. Yeah. The maddening thing is like Dark Souls 3 tries to do it. Does it? No, it does it with the it does it as bloodborne weapons where it's like here's a one-handed weapon and when you press L1 it changes into a two-handed weapon. So you can have paired great swords in Dark Souls 3, but it has to be a specific paired great sword weapon. You can't just have two great swords. And like one of the cool things like I'm doing Dark Souls 2 now is I'm I'm Pontiff Sullivan. I've got a fire weapon and a magic weapon in either hand. <laughs> And I'm comboing with them on the grounds oh that, like, <laughs> some things are resistant to fire and some things are resistant to magic, but most things aren't resistant to both. <laughs> so if I'm comboing, I'm probably going to do something. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sin. I think that concludes our official top five each list. But... There are other little things here and there that we noticed that we can talk about. Yeah. One thing that I really liked that wasn't really in any other Souls games is a specific interaction I had with an NPC. Yeah. It's just like, hey, I'm ahead. <laughs> My body's somewhere raging. Be careful. Don't talk to it. So, I don't know. I just thought that was so weird and awesome yeah yeah so this was going to be my number one if you had picked dual wielding already okay and it's covenants where you get a reward that isn't just a covenant level up reward mm-hmm. so like the 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 stones i was talking about before like that's not a covenant but it's similar approach like the bell covenants in dark souls 2 when you defeat invaders, as well as leveling up the Bell Covenant, you also get a Titanite chunk. Mm-hmm. Like that's so it's actually useful. Like even if you don't care about leveling up the Bell Covenant, because like it doesn't really matter, you just get some pyromancies. But there's a good reason to join the Bell Covenant anyway. Like it's just useful. There's also like there's PVE covenants in Dark Souls two there's two of them so pve meaning like they're not online covenants they're just for if you're playing the game the guardians of the dark covenant that is just like there's three little entrances you have to seek out and each one gives you a little basically its own little level to play through and it does not give a shit about online it's just like here's some extra (laughs) stuff to do if you're interested in like Mm-hmm. getting some like hexes and magic and stuff like you just do this other stuff um and it's tied to a covenant the other is the covenant of champions that we talked about before well, like that's just a covenant that if you're in it it turns online off completely and it makes everything much harder for you so it's just like you can't go online and you want an extra challenge you basically put yourself in new game plus by doing it and um it is really cool because it spawns unique enemies that are harder. It's kind of like being grave. Like you grave lord yourself, essentially. <laughs> you get these items from them that you can then, you can then redeem for like a weapon that makes barehanded damage really, really powerful. Uh-huh. The other thing, like related to that, is that there's you might not know this, but there's NPC invaders that only appear if you're playing offline. I did not know this. It's really cool if you. I think this is like a combination, like Easter egg, and also I think they're just thinking like. Some people aren't going to go online. 
Yeah. And it's not fair to treat it like, well, if you're not online, you're just like missing out on parts of the game. There's invaders that will only appear if you have no internet connection. I love it. Yeah, and like some of them are the only way to get access to like some some like drops and stuff. So you actually like you kind of get like there's stuff you get for not being online, which is like nothing. But because the fucking one of the things about Dark Souls Three is by the time <laughs> you get there, they have t- covenants of just what color am I going to be when I'm online? Which body parts am I picking up today? <laughs> Hi, Sophie here. What body parts am I collecting today? Well, if it's the long weekend shortly after the release of Dark Souls 3, the answer is ears. Hoping to carry on the work of trans icon Gwendolyn, I had joined the Dark Moon Blades and then discovered that the summoning never fucking worked. Desperate to max out the Covenant, and aware that the Silver Knights in Anorlondo had a vanishingly small chance of dropping the ears you needed to level it up, I spent an entire long weekend killing them over and over again while listening to an audiobook of Walter M. Miller's A Canticle for Leibowitz. Keep in mind that the drop rate for ears is so agonizingly low that when I hit 18 of the required 20 ears, it was actually faster for me to go into New Game Plus and play through the whole game up to Anorlondo again just to get the two ears that spawn on corpses. Satisfied by the PNG file of a trophy on my PlayStation account, I never played a Dark Moon character in Dark Souls 3 again and found other ways to honor Gwendolyn. Back to the podcast. You can be a warrior of sunlight and invade people in Dark Souls 3, and it's like, why am I invading as a red phantom who is also gold? (laughs) That is not acceptable. (laughs) Yeah, and, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Dark Souls puts a lot of emphasis on covenants. Like, mm-hmm. you join them and, like, you're supposed to stick with them, and if you abandon them, there's a big penalty. And then Dark Souls 2 is like, do whatever the fuck you want with covenants, we don't really care. <laughs> but, like, it makes them all fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you're supposed to just, like, pick and choose which covenant. Maybe you do just want to, like, lure people into the rat dungeon and kill them over and over again, and then it, <laughs> it just expects you to move on. Like, just yeah. find something that you like doing. And then Dark Souls 3, it is just like, these are different colors that you are online. (laughs) Which is like, the worst, it's like the worst of both approaches. (laughs) So yeah, offline stuff, please. Yeah, oh, definitely, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. This is a random one, but you know, um, Sentier Spear? Yeah. And basically, it's a spear that was, like, embedded in a statue or something. And so when you find the spear, there's, like, a chunk of cement around it. Yeah, yeah. Upon first glance, you just think, oh, this is just, like, this cool weird weapon. Like the, like the asphalt Excalibur. Hi, Sophie here. Role-playing games can be a way for us to explore aspects of our personality that we otherwise keep hidden. 
So when Sin and I played Eye Hunt, Sin decided to take on the persona of someone who was impulsive and ate too much. Sin's signature weapon was a heap of asphalt stuck to the bottom of a piece of pipe, which she christened Asphalt Excalibur. I, meanwhile, played a male character unsuccessfully for 35 years. Back to the podcast. But what happens is if you basically use it enough times before like using a bonfire, the cement breaks off and the spear becomes an actual weapon. Yeah. And that's really, really cool. It is, yeah. Um, Maldron? Elaborate. Maldron is a troll invader that's like an NPC. <laughs> he's, he's amazing, I love him. Yeah. He invades you and he is basically like, you know how most invaders, their AI is that they just like make a beeline for you and try to kill you. Mm-hmm. Maldron's AI is designed to behave like a troll. <laughs> so, like, he invades you and he uses an item that makes you look like a friendly phantom. So he looks like a white phantom and he gestures at you. And he gestures at you to, to like, come here, like he's saying, like, come safely. And he lures you into a trap. And then throughout the level, he is doing all this shit. He is, he knows the chameleon spell, so he disguises himself as just like objects in the level, and then tries to backstab you. That's beautiful. And he will like he will um, he will spawn, and then he will run into areas where there's like enemies that have AOE damage, and just stand there. That alone makes this the best Souls Bakiro King Ring game ever. <laughs> Yeah, and that's like it's so good, and and you know the the mad spirits in um three like the the um, mound makers, they sort of are described in like a way that hints they're meant to be similar. Where it's like, oh, you summon them, and you don't know if they're going to be friendly or not. Uh huh. And it's like, why does this covenant exist? <laughs> Whereas Maldron is like actually like someone who is trying to fuck with you by not. <laughs> You don't really know initially whose side they're on, and then they just mess with you throughout the level. The Mound Makers would have been awesome if, like, you got summoned as a white phantom and you're on a timer, and then you turned into a red phantom. <laughs> you didn't get a reward if you, like, helped the host. You got a reward if you killed them. <laughs> so you, they would actually add a level of, like, I don't know what the fuck is going on here, but it's like, oh, it's purple. This is the color I am when I'm online in Dark Souls <laughs> You know Lance dug up a green one? <laughs> yeah. So it's just like Dark Souls 3, what colours can we be this time? <laughs> Sophie, do the outro. That was the Snack Covenant episode 250, Dark Souls 2. Cool things in the game that weren't in Dark Souls 3 but should be in Elden Ring. <laughs> Well, thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sin. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And see y'all next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for attending the premiere. Sophie, Sin, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you want more Dark Souls 2 content, check the links below.